In Daniel chapter 6, in the famous Lion's Den story, we learn that Daniel is a man of prayer. But did you ever wonder what he prayed? In Daniel 9, we're going to see this incredible prayer where he cries out to God for the nation of Israel. You know, as I look at our nation, I know if you're like me, we are praying for our nation, praying for revival, praying that the Lord would be at the center of what we do and how we live. Well, we're going to see Daniel's prayer and see what we can learn about our own prayer lives today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. I'm a sports fan, so I'm always watching ball games. I have some particular teams that I enjoy watching. But I'll notice, and I'm sure you've noticed as well, that sometimes when there's a meeting at the mound in a baseball game or somebody gets a walk and walks to first base, you'll watch the guy on first and the first baseman talking. And do you ever wonder what they're talking about? Sometimes you think, man, man I wonder if they're having deep conversations about technical things about the game. And then they'll, they'll have these players mic'd up for a day. And then you'll get a little, you know, insight into what they talk about. And it'll be something like this. The guy will cross first base and he'll go, how's your family doing? Oh, my family's doing all right. Hey, what'd you think about the Tennessee-Alabama game? Oh, that Alabama, man, they're a tough team. They're going to be good this year. And you find out they're just talking about everyday stuff. It's not as deep as we might think it is or maybe even as profound if two of our favorite basketball players are having a conversation at midcourt, you know, what's that about? Well, it's usually not very profound. Now, what we do know is this. We know that Daniel prayed, but have you ever wondered what he prayed? We know Jesus prayed a lot. We know uh, Sunday we studied uh, at least a portion of his longest recorded prayer in the New Testament, which is John 17. We get an insight into his heart from his prayer. We get an insight into people's priorities from their prayer. I hope that your prayer is changing as time goes on. Because as a new believer, sometimes our prayers can be very self-focused. But as we grow in the Lord, our prayers tend to shift and change. And that is going to happen as God is moving in your life and taking you deeper and deeper with him. Daniel 9, if you turn over there, is going to give us an insight into what Daniel prayed. Not that just he prayed. We know he prayed, but what he prayed. And I think what someone prays is quite revealing. Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you are not to be as hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room. When you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will repay or reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. You're going to find that in Daniel 9, Daniel's prayer, this very long prayer, uh, is actually if you prayed it out loud, it would only take you a couple of minutes to pray. So you may be asking tonight, why is it going to take you 50 minutes to preach on the prayer then, Pastor Michael? I have no idea. There are just some mysteries that are just too deep uh, for understanding. But anyway, but it's not a very long prayer. And, and here's what I would say by way of encouragement. I think sometimes we feel like maybe we're not where we should be if our prayers are short. Look, you don't have to elongate your prayers just for the sake of elongating them. You don't have to do that. 
You can be very direct with your prayers. Sometimes you'll need to pray longer. Sometimes your list is going to be longer. Sometimes there's, you're just praying and needs will pop into your head. People who are going through a tough time. Someone that you recently shared your faith with, you, they'll come up on your heart and mind and you can pray for them. But as a Christian, you don't have to be uh, into repetitious prayers per se. You don't have to have a certain formula There are things that can help you along, like acknowledging who God is and that he's holy, uh, adoring him, confessing sin, giving thanks. We're going to see that supplicating for others. But there's no specific uh, prayer that's a perfect prayer in terms of heaven's perspective. Prayer is more about God wants you to come to him first and foremost. Do you know you have a great high priest in heaven whoever lives to intercede for you? That's Hebrews 4. He wants you to pray. He wants you to come. So wherever you are on the prayer spectrum, can I just encourage you, just start small. Just maybe start praying just in little bite-sized chunks, if I can put it that way, and get started. Tonight is about prayer. In the first year, Daniel 9.1, of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, Made king may indicate that he was a viceroy appointed by Cyrus. We talked about Cyrus in previous studies. And let me just point out that this prayer leads into the famous 70 weeks prophecy. 77s have been determined for your people. And when we move into chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 9 into verses 20 through 27, we will look at the 70 weeks prophecy, this famous prophecy that predicts the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem to the very day, and then fast forwards into the future. That's where we're headed at the end of the chapter. But first, we have a prayer. We do know from extra biblical sources outside the Bible that the date of this leader's um, leadership falls about 539 to 538 B.C., We have mentioned in previous messages that Darius may well be a title that represented Cyrus the Persian, but it does say that this one was of Median descent. So that's interesting. Maybe he was a viceroy appointed by Cyrus. We can't be certain. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, if you have an NIV, it says, I understood from the scriptures the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of, of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel was not only a man of prayer, he was a man of the word. Can I tell you that prayer and the word of God are inseparable. You should, I should be praying mostly with an open Bible. The word of God should be informing your prayers. Because when you are letting the word of God inform your prayers, you are praying according to the will of God. And when you pray according to the will of God, you know that you have the petitions that you have asked of God. So praying with an open Bible is very important. Daniel had the scrolls of Jeremiah, the prophet. He found in the scrolls that 70 years of Babylonian captivity had been determined by the Lord as a discipline for his people. So when he discovered this, uh, he discovered how long this whole Babylonian captivity was going to occur. The phrase, the word of the Lord or the uh, scriptures here, 
is used by Jeremiah 50 times in his book. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord. And of course, we know that the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired by God. Now, to see what he discovered, we have to turn to Jeremiah, which is just a few books back. And we're going to go, first of all, to Jeremiah chapter 25. What did Daniel discover that informed his prayers? Let's go to Jeremiah 25. Let's pick it up at verse 1. <clears throat> Jeremiah 25, verse 1. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he kept preaching to the people and nobody would listen. And he had a very tough mission. And here's what it says. The word, Jeremiah 25, 1, that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, this is where Jeremiah found himself on the verge of uh, Nebuchadnezzar coming in to dominate, to lay siege to Babylon. And he was telling the people to repent which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me. I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. Verse 5 saying, turn now, this was the message, everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell on the land which the Lord has given you and to your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them, to worship them. Do not provoke me to anger, the Lord saying through the prophet, with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. If you would just listen, if you would just repent of your idolatry, then things would be fine. Yet, verse 7, you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So notice that God is sovereign over what happened here. He calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant, will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take, them, take from them the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, the light of the lamp, and the whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity, the land of the Chaldeans, I will make it an everlasting desolation. There's been an attempt to rebuild Babylon. It uh, happened under uh, uh, Saddam Hussein. He was trying to rebuild Babylon until it was destroyed by uh, a lot of our uh, military power. And so uh, here's the promise, the warning, the amount of years, the reason for the captivity, God's discipline. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. Here's what he continues to say through his prophet. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, 
I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Now, that's what... You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... We are entering the holiday season, and more specifically, Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The Book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Saddam Hussein, he was trying to rebuild Babylon until it was destroyed by uh, a lot of our uh, military power. And so uh, here's the promise, the warning, the amount of years, the reason for the captivity, God's discipline. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. Here's what he continues to say through his prophet. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Now that's what Daniel is discovering as he studies the scroll. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. I know Jeremiah 29, 11 has become a very important verse to a lot of Christians. And even though the immediate context is God's promise to restore Israel, I do believe that the Lord can use this verse and apply it to us today. We have to be careful when we study Bible verses that we keep the immediate context in mind. However, I do think that God can take a promise that was made originally to Israel and have you own it for yourself today. And the way I would confirm that is I would take Jeremiah 29, 11 and compare it to other verses in the New Testament where the, there are other verses that confirm that God has good plans for us, that God is for us and not against us, that what he started in us, he will complete, that Jesus Christ is our hope, that one day we will rule and reign with the one who is our hope. So we have to be careful when we look at verses like this that we don't just, you know, try to force something or uh, apply it to us when it may not apply. But here I do believe that this can be ours. John Corson had an experience where he had lost, I believe it was his wife or daughter. And the Lord spoke Jeremiah 29, 11 to him. He didn't know the verse at the time, but it's something that God gave him in the moment. And I believe that God can do that as you're reading through the Old or New Testament. Sometimes you're reading and you might be struggling. You might even pray, Lord, I need a word from you. Would you speak to me? I need to hear from you. And you start, you know, some of you have done this whole thing where you, <laughs> some of you just say, wherever it falls open, Lord, that's, that's where we're going tonight. And then it says Judas went out and hung himself. And you don't, you, you want to be careful with that kind of stuff, right? We, so we have to be careful with the kind of thing. But I've even heard stories where someone did this and it was an amazing promise that 
uh, actually the, the Bible fell open to a very appropriate, applicable uh, promise. And so I, I don't doubt that God can work in those ways, but I would encourage you that you might want to read more than just doing this <laughs> every now and then, you know, become a student of the word. But God says, these are the plans that I have for you. You may, you may wonder about my plans, especially, you know, thinking about where the nation was headed into, into captivity. But, but here's what I know about what I have for you. I don't always know what God has for me. <laughs> many, many times I'm in the dark. Any, anybody else out there? You know, there, there are a lot of us who, when we pray, we're saying, Lord, would you open up the heavens? Would you send a message? Could it be a text? You know, <laughs> double verified somehow. But but God teaches us to trust him in the times when we're waiting on him. But God gives this promise and he says, look, these are my plans. My plans are not to destroy you. My plans are for your ultimate welfare. That's something we all need to understand that even when God does something painful, it's for our ultimate welfare. It's to give us a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me 12 and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you what? When you search for me with all your heart. You see, for Israel, that was the problem. They had a heart problem. You see, idolatry is not so much about a statue or a thing or whatever it may be. Idolatry, please hear me well, is a heart issue. Ultimately, what God wants is your heart. Amen? Your heart in Hebrew thought is the center of who you are. It's all that you are. It's the center of your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect. That's what God wants. God wants you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And if your heart becomes a factory for idolatry, if your heart is constantly drawn away, which was what happened to Israel, they had stumbled over their idols in their hearts, says the book of Ezekiel. Then God will do something to get a hold of your heart. I mean, think about your relationships. What do you really want from the ones that you love the most? You want what? You want their heart. You want to know that they, they love you from the heart of who they are and that's the way you want your love to be for others. And that's right where God works. God is not in the business of working from the outside in. He's in the business of working from the inside out. He knows if he works here, then the rest of the stuff will what? It will take care of itself. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. See, the issue is the issue of the heart. And I will be found by you when you call upon me. Look at verse 14, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes, will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now, Jeremiah clarifies that God was behind the Babylonian captivity God did what he did because of the idolatry of his people. And so he did a work. Uh, if you flip back to Jeremiah 25 for a second, look at verse 5. We get a little bit more <clears throat> insight. 
Verse four says, he sent to you all his servants, 25, four, the prophets again and again, but you have not listened or inclined your ear to hear, saying, turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds. Dwell on the land which the Lord God has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. This is what we've seen. <clears throat> we have seen that the Lord did what he did because his people had gone astray in their hearts. So this is, this is what God is doing in us. In fact, idolatry is a very contemporary issue. Just so you understand, idolatry applies to today. Little children, guard yourself from idols is the last verse of 1 John, written at the end of the first century. Idolatry was contemporary to the early church, and it is contemporary to a Western church in a very affluent society. Would you agree? In fact, I would argue that it's probably our major battle is to not put things alongside God in terms of them being equal to him or things above God. And it's a constant battle for all of us to keep God in our lives. Look, he doesn't change his nature or who he is because of my daily habits. Don't, I want you to have that straight. He's on his throne no matter what I do on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. But in terms of my relationship with him, that's what we're talking about. Whether I've decided to make him Lord of my life on a Wednesday night or a Thursday morning or a Saturday night, that's what you have to decide. You have to decide if he's really your Lord. Jesus said, you can't serve two lords. It just doesn't work. Now, because Daniel had been taken in the first wave of captivity around 606 BC, and because we know that this prayer happens around 538, 539 BC, we know from a time standpoint that Daniel could say as he prays, we've been in Babylonian captivity for about 68 years. And you don't have to be a mathematician to know that if Daniel just simply does a little quick mathematics, he knows that there's about a couple years of captivity left. And then they're going to be able to go back. And so knowing what he knows informed from the word of God, now he can pray a prayer that's very informed. Oh, Lord, this is what you said you were going to do. Daniel's prayer does not change the 70 years. Amen. It's like I've heard people say, if you turn back to the book of Daniel, we're going to have a we're going to have a Pentecost night or the church prayed. And that's why Pentecost happened. No, I have to say Pentecost happened on Pentecost. It was already fixed in God's calendar. Pentecost was an ancient feast of the Jewish people. It happened at a certain time of the year on a certain date. And all God did was get the church ready for his calendar. It wasn't the church saying, Lord, this is our calendar, so would you get on board? No, 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 no. It was God saying, this is my calendar, so I've positioned you to be ready to receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. Everybody with me? That's why this is so appropriate to prayer, because prayer is getting in concert with the will of God. It is not trying to get God to do something for me. Now, God is gracious. 
And I do believe he does respond to our prayers, but we have to be careful when we're praying that we're seeking his will. Now look at verse three in Daniel nine. This is why you could tell that it's gonna take us a couple Bible studies. So what did Daniel do? He, he made this discovery about the 70 years, end of verse two. And so he says, I gave my attention to the Lord God. Uh, New King James says, I set my face toward the Lord God. To seek him, when you set your face, when you seek the face of God, you are seeking him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. As Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH, and we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.